Gwyneth Paltrow, Magnets and the Vietnam War. Welcome to the first episode of Marvel vs. Marvel, a podcast series that explores the MCU movies and compares them to the comic books that inspired them from way back in the 60s and the 70s. This is a podcast for fans of the movies, fans of the comics, and just fans in general. You could be a lifelong comic book fan, you could have only just started to watch the movies or loved Infinity War, um, and you can still find a lot of joy and a lot of knowledge and a lot of laughs in this podcast. Uh, we have one rule here on Marvel versus Marvel, which is no gatekeeping. Comic books and movies are there for everyone to enjoy. Uh, my name's Rob Holden. I am a comic book and Marvel comic fan of over 30 years. I grew up reading them. I was taught to read uh, by my parents, whiting out, tipexing out the uh, word balloons in Marvel comics and uh, getting me to read simple words like dog uh, being said by Captain America. Um, and I've got that background and history of comic book stories with me. And my co-host on this journey is Mr. Will Preston. Will. Hello, great to be here. And Will, you're you're a big fan of the um, the Marvel the MCU movies, but you've never read a comic book. Uh, no, never read a Marvel comic book. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very bad, very lax with it, if you will. <laughs> I know, I know, but I feel I should be getting into the original source material. I'm a bit of a stickler for completionism. Well, that's kind of one of the issues, isn't it? Is that uh, it can be quite intimidating. If you're a fan of these cool movies or the cartoons or the TV shows, it can be intimidating and you can have a lot of problems from, unfortunately, my tribe, my people, comic book fans <laughs> tend to be kind of really ostentatious and, and gatekeepers about it, um, which can be intimidating and a bit of an issue. And we don't want that, right? No, exactly. And I see gatekeeping in a lot of places. It's not cool, but yeah. We don't want that here. <laughs> so that's not what's going to happen here. What we're going to do is we've got Will. Uh, you've been re-watching the MCU movies that you have loved for the last how many, 10 years. And we're yeah, going to yeah. be going back through them. Uh, and I'm going to be uh, kind of bringing in the knowledge from the, uh, the comic books that inspired the movies that have dominated the world. And we're going to have this back and forth compare and contrast how the comics relate to the movies that have just uh, really exploded especially in the last couple of years it seems like it's really stepped up a gear oh totally so um we start with the first episode which will be of course the very first mcu movie uh, which is yeah. iron man uh, a very interesting place for the marvel cinematic universe to start um kind of a linchpin in the comics especially when it comes to the Avengers, which are the linchpin of the Marvel Universe, many would say. Um, but before we kind of crack on with Iron Man and the start of the cinematic universe, it might be useful to take a look at the comic book universe itself, the, the, the Marvel Universe that, that started all this so many decades ago and, and how it was so game-changing and, and, so, um, and so radical at the time. The birth of the Marvel Universe will begins uh, with the Fantastic Four. That's where we begin. It's not Iron Man. It's not Spider-Man. It's not even really Captain America, even though Captain America kind of knocking around in, in, in the 40s. Um, we start the Marvel Universe in the 60s with the Fantastic Four. Um, so that, that was the first one? Oh, okay. That's, that's considered the first one. I mean, 
Marvel Comics, which was originally called things like Timely Comics and, and had different names over the years, um, it didn't really kick off the shared universe. That's kind of the important thing when we think about the Marvel Universe, is the shared, yeah. cohesive universe didn't really kick off until Stan Lee started this incredible run from 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 the, the first issue of Fantastic Four. He just started knocking them out with, you know, Jack Kirby and, and Don Heck and, and, and the other guys to, to, to create very quickly, very suddenly, within the space of a few years, all these amazing characters that now dominate the movies. Fantastic Four is the first one that does that. And I think it's really important to kind of look at what the superhero was and then what they were doing because it's mm. so radically different. Um, superheroes were, were kind of entrenched in, in pre-war and the Second World War. There were these very pious men who wore capes and made very overly melodramatic speeches about saving the world. That's kind of what superheroes were. They, they flourished when um, Hitler was around and, and that gave them all something to kind of fight against. But then superheroes stopped being popular. They died an absolute death after the Second World War. So in the 50s, like there's not, superhero comics are not being made generally. There are a few, but Marvel um, is really making cowboy comics, detective comics, and romance comics. That is their bread and butter. Um, romance comics? Romance comics, yeah. Stan Lee was a big writer of romance comics. I did not know this. The cover would have some girl like weeping on her bed, holding a phone, and the thought bubble would say, "When will he call?" You know, that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing that Andy Warhol turned into those, you know, those kind of pop pop art um, paintings. Those were That's directly the... from Marvel romance comics of the fifties because superheroes. Yeah. They, it was like the industry kind of thought, well, that was a blip and it's done and it's over, right? We had fun with them, but that's not where comic books started and it's not where they're going to go. And, and then uh, the Marvel Universe completely shatters what a superhero is, completely. Um, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the X-Men. Stan Lee is not creating um, strong, morally perfect heroes, He's doing Black Mirror. Stan Lee Ooh. is doing Black Mirror in the 60s. Right, you can <laughs> go back and, and, and take a look at them all. They're, they're, they're twisted science fiction morality tales with public fears ripped from the headlines. Exactly what Black Mirror does on Netflix to this day. Uh, it's all um, nuclear bombs and it's uh, radiation and the Vietnam War. That's what Marvel Universe is kind of based on and costumes come into it a little bit here and there but really it, 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 they're so so different from these pre-war men wearing capes and, and it blew people away and it, and, it, and it completely changed comic books and then however many decades later it completely changed movies forever so that is kind of the, the, the birth of the Marvel Universe in the 60s Wow, I did. I didn't know anything about the romance comics for sure. And as soon as you said romance comics, the first thing I thought was that Andy Warhol thing. But wow, yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. It, 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 it's kind of it's kind of fascinating to think that there's this there was this point in time where superheroes weren't really 
all that associated with comic books. They were like, oh, yeah, I remember those. They were fun for a bit. But now it's all about the cowboys. <laughs> what uh, I'd like is if the romance novels had their own like Avengers team up or something just a load of weeping spurned lovers forming a crack super team <laughs> to get revenge get revenge well what, what's oh. interesting is that those those 50s comics get fault at the because the, the, there are some sci-fi there are a lot of mad scientist comics of the time sci-fi kind of adventures um which is, we're about to talk about that, really, which is where Iron Man comes from. But a lot of those cowboy comics and mad scientist comics of the 50s and uh, get folded into the Marvel Universe years later. Um, so, like, someone like the Rawhide Kid, who was, you know, been around since the 50s, he gets kind of retconned, which means retroactive continuity. It means changing something in the past through something you do right now like does that make any sense it's a standard oh, comic book i know term. what retconning is i'm a big right, fan right, of right. series I, i've just <laughs> i've just realized it's parlance that most most people might not be kind of uh, aware of yeah but but there, there are these kind of odd characters like the rawhide kid who was just a cowboy in a cowboy comic you know someone down the line in the, in the 70s or the 80s went oh but yeah he was a cowboy but he was a cowboy in the marvel universe why not just say that and then, you know, he can travel through time and, and team up with the Avengers or something. So they kind of... I don't know if they ever folded in... Um, oh, you know what? They did. And I can't think... I can't think of the name. It may well be... It may well be... Um, Tigra. This is not important, Rob. Get on with the podcast. <laughs> but if you're out there and you know what I'm talking about, there is, there definitively is... One of the 50s romance characters becomes a superhero in the Marvel Universe. And I can't, I think it's got something to do with the weird character Tigra, but I might be wrong. Okay, that's not what the podcast is. This is not a Tigra podcast. <laughs> not it, it's yet. a bit of a curse having so much knowledge, isn't it? You just go, wait a minute, I'm going to go around that tangent. It's <laughs> exhausting. Other... Yes. <laughs> I'd like to take a holiday from my own brain. <laughs> So, so you really kicked this off by rewatching Iron Man. Yes, um, I, I did it over the weekend. What well, What are your thoughts, and, and what are your? Do you, do you uh, presumably you saw it when it came out? You're you're a big geek, even though you're not a comic book geek. And this has got you know cool armor and uh, things exploding. So you must have. Did you go and see it at the cinema? I didn't. I, I actually uh, put off seeing it because I was uh, like I was aware of Spider Man and I, I like the X Men, but I, I only know the X Men through the '90s uh, cartoon series. So when it came to stuff like oh Iron Man, I think my first exposure to Iron Man was that he was a secret character in a Tony Hawk game. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you can play as Iron Man in in Tony Hawk Pro Skater. In Tony Hawk's 3, one of the secret characters was Iron Man because uh, the I think the same company were doing some Marvel games. Like They had Spider-Man as a secret character because the, game, the company Neversoft were doing the Spider-Man game on the PlayStation around the same oh time. God. So they went, you know what, let's play Spider-Man in it. We've got the license. <laughs> that is so wild because there are those people whose first introduction to the Marvel Universe, like it makes sense with the cartoon, but there will be ones whose first introduction would be like, Marvel versus Capcom, the game, or yeah, yeah. the Captain America arcade game. Like, there were things like that that 
could have been people's first introduction or like and I always feel so bad for people if their first introduction is one of the terrible TV movies like the, <laughs> oh, the, Dolph, yes. the Dolph Lundgren Punisher or the Captain America where he's got a little bike <laughs> and a really big motorcycle helmet um, they, that, they, they keep sharing that online and just clips of him stealing cars <laughs> yeah that's rough man and as a as a as a fan of the comics, I can't tell you what a blessing it's. It's more of a blessing. The MCU is kind of more of a blessing than the unconnected ones. What I mean by that is, you're kind of so desperate for there to be any decent adaptation that it's really hard when they're all so bad. And you get good ones. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Superman's pretty good, but as a kid, it wasn't that fulfilling. Batman was really, really good. But then they went off the boil. And the ones that follow were a bit same with Spider Man. Every Spider Man, Spider Man Two were fantastic. But then every every other every other one, like is shit. Uh terrible for happening. Yeah, I was about to say yeah, depending on the uh, sense of real we have. I I remember watching the amazing Spider Man on a plane and just thought, No, this feels so pointless. (laughs) Yeah. And so what is uh, what was kind of good is that it 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 felt like because you all knew they were coming from like one place. Yeah, it felt like well, if they're doing this one seriously, then they must be doing them all seriously, pr- not seriously, but properly. If they're really mm. trying to make them all good, they it's and it's a it's the company that should know what they're doing. You would hope. Oh, oh yeah, to- totally. I think with Iron Man though, I think uh, going back to the. the uh, first Iron Man film, I think they got it right because I came to it as a complete newbie. I basically saw Iron Man is oh he's got loads of technology and all this. He, he's basically Batman with jetpack. Uh, so it's like <laughs> oh that, <laughs> that appeals to me. I didn't watch it in the cinema. I held off. I held off because it didn't really jump out at me because I think superhero films had gone downhill a bit just before then and then. Then Batman was happening, and I think Dark Knight was where my allegiance lay. And then I went, okay, I'm going to watch Iron Man. And immediately, the opening scene, ACDC's playing, and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sold. <laughs> the music's really key, isn't it? Like, it's, it's really helps. key. Yeah, yeah. Especially with something like this, because he is kind of a swaggering rock star, isn't he, Tony Stark? And you want to have this edge to him that's not too poncy, but kind of like, oh, he has a swagger that isn't oh, too much. And I think playing ACDC at the beginning helped help with that. But yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I watched it. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I have to say, watching it again, although you can see how the MCU progresses... And you can tell they get better, better writers as they go along and stuff like that. And bet, slightly better CGI and whatnot. Uh, I still think the first Iron Man holds up. It, it, was, it, was, it was such a joy to watch again. Did it make you excited to see... Like, obviously it didn't convert you. It didn't do what they were hoping it would do, though, did it? It did not convert you into someone that would go out and spend three or four quid on a comic. No. So maybe, maybe it was yeah. a failure. <laughs> I think I think it like did what it, all it needed to do in that two hour slot. I was like, ah, oh, good, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with this film artifact. And and did you leave excited for like more Marvel stuff or more Iron Man? Like, what was 
Or was it that just kind of the end of the experience? You didn't really think, I've got to see the next one. Well, I, I remember, because I, I, I do love Wikipedia films after I've watched them, mainly to make sure I understood the story. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but one of the things is, it's like, I looked at it and went, okay, how many bad guys does Iron Man have? And I looked through it and I think I remember seeing, um, what was it, what was it, was it the Mandarin? Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh man, that's going to be an issue if they decide to do that later down the line. But I think I was kind of <laughs> excited for another Iron Man film. I was like, oh, if another one comes out, I'll happily watch it. it it'll be a laugh. I, it's not what, like how I would have Sorry, yeah. When, when you say you thought it was going to be an issue down the line, in, in what way? Well, the thing is, the man to read is, he is, uh, as I think, I think because he was of Chinese descent and they did this thing this really weird thing like with the Flash Gordon cartoons where any villain with a chuck of Chinese descent, they changed it to a lizard person, which was, which was problematic. But it's like, it was like he was very old school, very yeah. stereotypical, almost racially insensitive Chinese. It's a very racial stereotype, yeah. Um, yeah. Now he is actually, <laughs> so he <laughs> replaces, so earlier on in Marvel's history, when they were kind of publishing as Atlas Comics for a while. Um, yeah. They had another Asian um, crime lord, spy crime lord kind of guy, whose name was the Yellow Claw. Oh, and my! <laughs> absolutely dreadful, to the point yeah. where they had to start... They, they have retconned the Yellow Claw pretty much out of existence and replaced all instances with the Mandarin, which yeah. is like replacing one racial stereotype with a slightly <laughs> I mean slightly better racial stereotype <laughs> um, the, the modern yeah. redesigns of the Mandarin are kind of uh, are a lot better he, he is just a you know a, a normal Asian person in a business suit and it kind of works um, yeah. his, his story is really fun but we'll talk about that when we get to Iron Man 3 um, and we actually deal with, uh, with the Mandarin in, in, in that form um, of course so shall we shall we crack on with your with the, with the kind of the, the take us through the the movie itself a little bit? Okay, well, with the synopsis, basically, uh, Tony Stark is CEO of Stark Industries. He is he is the he's basically a weapons dealer, isn't he? Would you say he's an arms? He's dealer. an arms dealer. He is he's an, an arms, arms dealer. Yes. This is this is the one thing I couldn't get away from was like. We're, he's, he's, he's a lovely chap, but he's basically an arms dealer. But what happens is he's going... Uh, where, where is the... Uh, okay, I think the, the name they use for this is Unspecified Stan. Oh, <laughs> right. This is... Immediately, this is so on the nose for, for the comics. Um, yeah. Because he goes into a, into a war zone. Yeah. But they don't, want, they don't want to tie it to an actual war zone, do they? They, because they, they don't. Aside from politics, that'll date in 12 months, won't it? Oh, it, absolutely, absolutely. But that's the thing. He, he, it, it, I just love the vagueness of these kind of things. I mean, even in, in, in some shoot-em-up games, they'll just give it a, a uh, very, like, an unspecified name where, where the term unspecified a stand came up, which I find hilarious. So, but yeah, That's a that's legit term that's been used then. Yeah, has, has been used a few times, unspecified as stand. I think mainly in the gaming community. <laughs> in, 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 the, in, in the Marvel comics, in, in the 60s, it was Vietnam. It's the Vietnam War. The whole of Iron Man is, is really early on about the Vietnam War and about yeah. the, 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 the war on communism. But because Marvel 
operates what we call a sliding time scale, uh, which in, in Marvel means that these characters started to come about around five years ago. So they okay. never get old, if that makes sense. You're constantly updating the time scale of these characters. Yeah, that's, that's the that best becomes, way to do it. It is, but it becomes problematic when you've tied them to an actual war, a real historical thing. So mm. over the years, it's been updated. Marvel's updated it to Iron Man was injured in the Vietnam War, to the Korean War, to then it was after a, it was it was it was odd for a while. Then it was Iraq. Thankfully, Iraq the Iraq War happened, and they could update things again. Um, it's always good when a war happens; you can update your story. <laughs> in the very recent, as in this year's, or was it last this year or last year's uh, handbook to the Marvel Universe, written by Mark Wade. Um, we got the introduction that it was no longer any real place. They now have invented uh, a whole other region and war called Cyan uh, Kong. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So this is now wow. the Cyan. This now takes place in the uh, Iron Man in the comic books. He's injured during the Cyan Kong War. The same conflict that um, that is where the Punisher kind of learns to be the Punisher. Um, and Reed Richards is involved in it, and, and Ben Grimm as well. So that's the, and I imagine Nick. Well, Nick Fury is a, depends on the Nick Fury. We can't get into that. Yeah. We'll do it at the end. I was about to say, so, which yeah. Earth version is this? <laughs> no, Marvel doesn't do that. I thought it did. I swore it. I swore it did. I swore it did. I heard that somewhere. Okay. okay. Oh, well, I'm thinking of DC. You're thinking of DC. Okay, well, I'll shut up uh, and, and continue talking. Uh, the, the thing is, uh, that, that's the thing. It's it, That's the start of the film. It introduced you to a modern thing. Okay, here we are in what looks to be Afghanistan. And he's there to demonstrate a new type of missile. But during the, uh, like, after demonstration, he's basically ambushed uh, while they're playing ACDC. And he's drinking whiskey out of a non-standard issue glass in the back of a Humvee, which is just... That is just, that, that sets up the character so well, doesn't it? That can set it up for me. He's, yeah. he's, he and is it, an arms dealer. For, for comic fans, it kind of signals. Seeing the first instance of Tony Stark, he's got a, a glass of booze in his hand is a good signifier. It's a nice little nod um, because one of the most famous Iron Man storylines is two of them, actually, his battle with alcoholism. So, I, I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard that the character had uh, alcohol troubles or something. It's, it's, it's only fitting they get Robert Downey Jr. to play him. <laughs> really, really is. Yeah, yeah. It brings a lot to it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Tony totally has experience for it. So basically, the, the set of the film is he gets attacked after, after showing off his weapon. He's captured and imprisoned in a cave by a terrorist group. Uh, you have the name of the terrorist group? The, the Ten Rings. Now, what is that? What is that a reference to? Because I, it's a I reference to the Mandarin. Ten... It is a Mandarin reference. Yeah, yeah, and I got okay. I, I, so I, I uh, because I'm a fanboy. <laughs> I do hate that. <laughs> I, I, I'd much rather be called a fangirl, actually. Uh, I, oh. I fangirled uh, at that moment, and I did what we in the British wrestling world would call I popped. I did a little <laughs> mini cheer in my seat when they said the Ten Rings because. Uh, so the, the the Mandarin. <laughs> Sorry, I've just realised I have to say this out loud now. The Mandarin is an Asian crime lord who discovers um, a spaceship containing an alien dragon. Oh! And <laughs> in, in, in in the hills of China, in the mountains of China, 
And the alien dragon... <laughs> Stop laughing. The alien dragon uses ten power couplings to power his uh, spaceship. And they just happen to be ring-sized. So the Mandarin puts on these ten rings. And each one gives him a different power. Like teleportation. You can blind people. Uh, um, I forget what the others do. Uh, so he's got he's... ten rings. So the, the terrorist organization being named the ten rings was a really cool little moment for me. Because I was like, oh, they're going to get... Because I already know from the trailer, Mandarin's not in this movie. I was like, oh, they're setting up to reveal the Mandarin later. That will be cool. So, yeah, the Ten Rings is a reference to, to Monsieur Racial Stereotype. Monsieur Racial Stereotype. I was about to say, the Ten Rings and the fact he's a crime lord, you make him sound like he's Thanos crossed with the Yakuza. Yeah. Giants, in this case. Oh, my God, that's that's quite that. Okay, I, I won't delve further into that. That's, that's absolutely mental. We'll get, we'll get to the Mandarin when we get to the Mandarin. We'll get to the we'll get to the Mandarin for now. We're, yeah. stay, we're sticking with uh, t- uh, Tony Stark being captured. So yes, captured it, it, by... The, the number one thing is that he's injured in that attack. That's the, the big bit, isn't it? Yeah, he's injured in the attack. Sorry, he's injured in the attack. Uh, and then he's basically uh, revived by a fellow doctor. He implants an electromagnet into Stark's chest to keep the shrapnel shards uh, from reaching his heart, basically, and killing him. And uh, during, the, during his time in there, he builds uh, a, something called an arc reactor. He does. He does. He builds an arc reactor. Now, what's his significance with the arc reactor? Well, it's kind of hard to say, because um, the arc reactor, it, it, it's a bit more of a very modern... So originally when this happened, he, mm. Tony Stark just, in the, in the 1960s, he full-on steps on a landmine. In oh, Vietnam wow. and blows him, he blows himself up and presumably the other soldiers around him and he's got yeah he's left with that shrapnel slowly moving towards his heart and uh, he's definitely going to die so he, he, he builds the Iron Man suit to number one preserve his life that's the yeah. first thing he does he tells the, the Viet Cong that he'll build weapons for them but then instead yeah. of building weapons for them he builds something to preserve his life and it's the chest plate of the Iron Man armor, which means from that point on, comic book Tony Stark has to wear the chest plate armor at all times. Yeah, if yeah. he takes it's, it's... it off, he dies. He does not it's have amazing. this kind of replacement heart. So from that point on, it, Stan Lee gives him this huge, huge fallibility that is a constant issue for him. He has to wear it underneath his shirts and his business suits all the time. Um, he has to plug the chest plate into the mains on, on a regular basis to charge it up. He is in those in in the in the sixties, right the way through the sixties uh, issues, and it goes on for a while before he gets a, a replacement heart. The, the original Iron Man has to keep like ducking out of meetings. He keeps Tony Stark keeps feeling faint. Um, at parties, at business meetings, and he's like, "Oh God, I need, I need, I need to go to my room and be alone." And he just plugs himself into the mains and charges himself up. Um, and it's a, it's a huge, a huge part of the why he can't get together with Pepper Potts. Um, and it's because, and this is a Stan Lee does this with all his lead heroes. He gives mm-hmm. them a massive health problem that means they can't get with the girl. Like he he, oh. twi- he twilights the shit out of this. I'm telling you, 
He knows what he's doing because he spent the 50s writing romance comics. He knows yeah, how important yeah. it is to have a, a love story that can't, that can't ever knock boots. So um, Tony Stark loves or really fancies Pepper Potts. She loves him. But his, he's constantly thinking to himself, what kind of a life could I give this woman when I'm trapped in this portable iron lung and I'm on the brink of dying every day and I have to keep plugging myself in? So that's why I can never be with it. He does the same with Thor. He does the same with Cyclops and the X-Men. Um, it's yeah. a big Stanley trope of uh, a big health issue that, that keeps them from um, uh, kissing a girl they like. <laughs> If anything, I like it. It's, it's almost like an allegory for ME. <laughs> or, or, having to, or having to charge your phone up all the time. Oh, no, it's low battery. Have, to, have you got a wall? He, he, sometimes has to, he sometimes has to do it in the middle of a fight. One time, oh, no. he had to plug himself into a lamp post to charge himself up the lines. <laughs> oh, God, that is so good. That is so good. And this all oh. got ruined when one writer decided that he knew enough about solar energy to solve all yeah. the problems, really. And I think it ruined Iron Man forever. Oh, putting man. yourself into a lamppost is just objectively awesome. I'll be with you in a minute, guys. I'm just uh, just getting a charge. I'm going to have to call up the council. It's got one of those special keys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that is insane. So yeah, he basically has an arc reactor in his chest, keeping him alive, and he's captured uh, now. In this film, it's a guy called Yinsen. Is that uh, significant? Yeah, it's the same dude, same name. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And he's ca uh, with, with them as well. Uh, one thing I, I I noticed, like as soon as I uh, I, I sort of re recoiled when he pulling a tube out of his nose because. Obviously, they put a tube in there to feed him while he's uh, while he's not being knocked out. And oh god, I will never, never be able to watch those in films. Whether it's, whether it's the Matrix, whether it's uh, other things like that, where they just pull a tube out of your nose or out of your mouth. Ugh. Shootings and stabbings you're cool with, but tube up the nose. Oh. Tube, no, no, no. That's just, that's just wrong. Cannot handle wrong. it. Give, give me a knife any day. But. This is it's the thing. They uh, he is forced, just like you say, he's forced to build. He's basically going to build another missile he's been advertising for them. Uh, I like that bit where during the attack where one of his own missiles lands next to him and he has a good look at the Stark Industries logo. And it's that moment of, oh, no, this is irony <laughs> or whatever. It's so, it's so wild to think of uh, that this is not an update. Um, Tony Stark mm. from day one was an arms dealer. Yeah, um, and it, you think that this, this this comic? So the the order of them really is fantastic for Incredible Hulk, Spider Man, and then Iron Man. That's the order in which they were created and released to the public. Hmm. Um, so right after, and we'll do. Hopefully, we'll do more in this when we get to Spider Man. But right after creating uh, the very first poor working class disenfranchised teenage superhero in the nineteen sixties. Stan Lee creates fucking Howard Hughes, like the ultimate yes. capitalist arms dealer. Can you imagine? You think about what's happening in the 60s at the time. The Generation Quake is exploding. You've got the protests, the Vietnam War protests are freaking everywhere. And, and Stan Lee is like, yeah, but what if this guy sells uh, bombs? <laughs> what if that's what he does for a living? 
What if that's the guy, right? Right? What about that? Well, we love the guy, Stan. We love the guy who was, he was a poor working class kid from Queens and he doesn't have enough money to buy web fluid and his aunt, yeah, but this guy has a limousine and he kills people, he sells death to people. It's pretty cool, right? And Stan is said, Stan is, is, is said he intended to create the ultimate capitalist figure. That's what he wanted, a proper capitalist in the middle of this complete generational revolution where the, presumably the kids reading the comics are rising up against this but um, that's what he wanted to do and that's kind of, we see a similar thing with Doctor Strange which we'll get to later they're kind of a Ooh, prick and then yeah. they have this huge thing happen to them oh absolutely, plus they have the same facial hair <laughs> they're very similar, hey do you know uh, one of the early villains that Iron Man fights is a character called Doctor Strange and oh, it's not the one you're thinking of it's a complete they just it was a throwaway name in the 60s bloody hell I swear that name's been popped up popped up quite a few bit Doctor Strange you know it's, it sounds like a placeholder yeah, name yeah it's so obvious yeah. isn't it yeah yeah it's gone Doctor Strange for now and we'll invent a proper name later on in post post-production <laughs> post-production with the script so yeah, uh, Tony Stark is captured, as we said. He's got the art reactor, and they they force him to build a one of his own missiles. But instead, he he conspires with the person who saved him, Yinsen, to build a prototype suit of power armor to aid their escape. Uh, they keep the suit hit. Basically, it's like it's almost like the Great Escape or whatever. Where they're just they're captured. They they got an escape plan. They're keeping it hidden. Okay, it's nothing like the Great Escape. Come to think of it, but. Uh, <laughs> Steve McQueen as Iron Man would be cool. If, if they did that back then, I mean, I could easily see... Actually, I don't know, Steve McQueen would probably be Captain America, wouldn't he? Who would have been Iron... Who would have played him? Brett <coughs> Butler. <laughs> He's got the moustache, hasn't he? Yeah, because that's, that's, the first, that's the first image I thought saw in my mind. Where I yeah. thought, who would look like Tony Stark back then? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this... Uh, well, he's kind of based on, on the kind of Errol Flynn look. That's kind of what they... Howard Hughes for the personality, Errol Flynn for the for the look of the of the original Iron Man. Ah, <clears throat> uh, so, yes. Yes, yeah, that's that thin mustache, the, the 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 sweep of the hair, and the kind of little cravat poking out the top of the uh, of the shirt. <clears throat> oh, totally. I like the little uh, nods to Howard Hughes. They they the line. I think it's uh, War Machine. Well, he hasn't become War Machine yet. Spoiler alert. Uh, he, <laughs> he says he says to him, "Hey, you just." Uh, you, you, like a jar, what's it? Your long hair, long toenails away from Hughes or whatever. He says something like that. It's like, yeah, ah. yeah. Because to me, Brandy. all I can think of, it, yeah, all I can think of is Mr. Burns from The Simpsons when he, <laughs> he has that same thing happen to him. <laughs> so I'm sorry, all Howard Hughes references immediately go to that part of The Simpsons for me. There are there are but people yeah. that know history, and there are people that know history through The Simpsons, and <laughs> you know what category that. you're in, Will. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> But yeah, he uh, he builds this suit. Now the thing is with the suit, as, as as I know, it is it is it is the original suit, isn't it, that it had in the sixties comic? That is the, the knob, yeah, big it? big bulky and and, and grey, and, and because it's it's cobbled together from what was available. You know, they, they yeah. don't have it, it's it, they're using kind of iron steel mongering techniques rather than having a uh, a high def laser guided cutting machine and the best materials and alloys and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, done, done without uh, done without automation and microchips. I mean, it is. 
it, it makes me feel, uh, I don't know, because there were there some like Call of Duty games where you get to have the bomb-proof suits, and they're big, you're invincible, but you're lugging around with these big weapons. And that's the first thing I thought saw when I thought that. The demolition suit. Uh, and it's, uh, they basically keep it hidden. <coughs> and they, uh, they, the day comes, and they actually stage their escape. Uh, but sadly, uh, Yinsen sacrificed himself to divert them away so he can get out of there. As, you know, I think, I think there's a suit charging or something. It, they, they're doing something like, do this when it gets to 90% or something. You've got to hit F11. Charging. That's the one that always hit. stands out to me, is to activate the Iron Man suit, hit F11. F11, <laughs> but the most that's unused... That's, that's, big, that's big picture. That's full widescreen. Oh, it is, isn't it? That's, 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 that's full screen mode for your, for your uh, thing, mode. isn't it? For your porn. Oh, I mean, my... for, your, for whatever you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's porn or non-porn, uh, the two uses <laughs> of the internet. But yeah, he gets he gets it. He basically he sacrifices himself. Tony Stark in the suit, getting out of there, and it's just absolutely mad. <laughs> it's almost a bit like Batman when he makes his first appearance because there's that fear and you can't really see him. The people are going ah! and flying off screen. See, I think it's very similar to a scene we'll see uh, in the next episode in Incredible Hulk where. We've had we've had glimpses of it in the darkness, but we don't really see it, and then it kind of comes out of the darkness into the light, and it is it is genuinely um, a little creepy. I remember watching the old nineteen seventies live action Spider Man TV movies. Hmm. I didn't watch them in the nineteen seventies. I'm not quite that old, but hey. I, I can remember seeing the Spider Man costume live action for the first time, and it kind of creeped me out as a kid, like. Because this was the first time not seeing it as a comic or a cartoon. There's something non-human. It doesn't have a mouth. Yeah. doesn't have facial features, really. It's kind of, there's, there's always that kind of, you know, the uncanny valley and the, the, the unhumanness of kind of these, these representations of it. And, and I definitely yeah. think that the grey Iron Man suit coming out of the darkness, yeah, it is very, it's like a big troll. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like it's like a yeah it's like a fairy tale villain or something. Mm. Not not fairy tale villain, but like a monster. It is basically <laughs> a very primal monster coming out of the darkness that's invincible and is going to punch a, you. Or, there's a thing that's yeah. kind of because uh, we go straight from the the original armor to the cool sexy armor. Um, oh yeah, and in the comics it takes a little bit longer than that. Um, and what's interesting is after a little while. Because uh, there's a period of time where Tony Stark in the comics and the early ones is essentially just Bruce Wayne. Um, he's <laughs> he's at a charity dinner. No, he's at the circus. He's at the circus. That's why it's more oh, like Bruce God. Wayne. And yeah. he stops some tigers from going wild. And his date, he, Tony Stark then asks his date, hey, what do you think of that big robot man? He was pretty cool, wasn't he? And she goes, oh, God, <laughs> he's so scary and ugly and grey. Didn't like him at all. He should look more like a knight in shining armor. And so, yeah. because Tony is all about the poon, he decides to spray paint the armor gold. And so you get gold Iron Man for several issues. And the yeah. start of the yeah. Avengers, it's the same bulk. It's, it's a slightly trimmed down suit, but it's still bulky. And it's just, but it's just yellow. It's entirely yellow. No red whatsoever. And oh, then wow. a little bit later on, someone comes along and goes, that looks horrible. <laughs> Let's break up a, a single colour and just give it a yeah. little bit more pizzazz. Because the way you say it looks all gold, all I'm saying is C-3PO that can fly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like if C-3PO was, uh, you know, a gay bear daddy. Yeah. 
You know, one of those guys. Like he's big, he's chunky, yeah, he's got thick yeah. thighs, thick arms, thick stomach. You know, that's what yeah. it looks like. C three PO is like the twink version of <laughs> <laughs> Big Gold Iron Man. <laughs> And so starts some fan fiction no one wants to read. <laughs> oh, the slash fiction. I'm, oh, I know what I'm doing during lockdown now. <laughs> oh, man, you could you could make a ton on Reddit. <laughs> Posting that on there. <clears throat> oh, God. So, yeah, that's the suits. That's the original suits. So I, what I like is he's, he's getting out of there, getting out of the cave. He's blasting his way out. And then he does he does the triumphant moment. He launches off. <laughs> he launches off and escapes, and of course crashes in the desert and is recovered. Uh, it was quite. I have to, I have to admit, I, I laughed quite a lot at the crash. It was just typical. But it, it is. It is. It's great. And it's funny, uh, and it's kind of good in showing that that's kind of as much as he could do with. Yeah. With like it's it's the fallibility of not having anything, you know. Um, oh, totally, totally. Bu- building stuff from scrap metal, basically. Yeah, the, the whole thing I like is there is this element throughout the film of trial and error and doing stuff with physics, adjusting uh, th- rocket thrusts. I'm a big fan of this game called Kerbal Space Program, where you have to like launch rockets off and like achieve orbit, go to the moon, go to Mars, and it's all about the physics. And you have to construct your spaceship. And I was thinking. Of or about the entire thing, whenever he's testing something, I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. You want to have less rocket fuel in there so it will lighten out. <laughs> and I, my I, my head went right into there when I was watching this. I went, I went beyond geeking into nerd territory. Jeez. It, it's it's a real difference. Uh, oh, well, 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 we'll get to that when we get to the, to the, to the better armour, I suppose. But it's, it is a real difference to... Um, because these comics... Are science fiction being written by mm. someone with virtually no knowledge of science? Mm. <laughs> like Stanley's knowledge of science is like what he read in the morning paper, uh, which is like, "Gee whiz, they just invented the microchip." I don't know what it is. Going to write some comics about it, um, <laughs> and and it's all the suit, uh, the, the Iron Man suit is, and it is like you can see they capture it so well in the movie that you you believe he's a genius engineer. And you can see what's going on. Like you say, the trial and error, and and the, you can see all of that in the comics. He has this thing called transistors, and it's mm. quite clear from the get-go that Stanley does not know what transistors are. <laughs> I, Tony Stark goes to Vietnam, and he puts a transistor in a magnet, and the <laughs> magnet. <laughs> And the magnet can now rip a steel door apart. And the captain of the army says, that's amazing. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to put these transistors in all of your weapons and it will make them um, stronger somehow. (laughs) And that's... (laughs) And everything everything in Iron Man to begin with is about magnets and transistors. Uh, And that's how he kind of propels himself through magnets. He doesn't use rockets. It's magnets. Yeah. That's how he flies around. Um, he gets himself. One of his earliest inventions is, um, well, roller skates. Uh, there's no other way of putting it. <laughs> he invents <laughs> roller skates. <laughs> Bearing in mind, this is a character that can fly. In one issue, he goes, oh, no, we're stuck in traffic. <laughs> Luckily, I invented these roller skates on my metal shoes. And then he, he uses doesn't go, go, go gadget. 
That's Doesn't exactly what it is. Yes. He does go, 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 gadget, Stark skates, and then swoops <laughs> off. Jeez. And then he uses um, yeah. magnets to pull himself towards cars and just keeps skating. <laughs> so, yeah, it is yeah. It, the trial of the, 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 being able to have a, a better understanding of science really does help science fiction. <laughs> yeah, it, well, having a better understanding of science moves to more science fact, if you will. Uh, oh, yeah. I went, ooh, look at Will, he's being a bit clever with his words. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, he gets rescued, he gets uh, brought back, and he does his first, after getting a, a, an American cheeseburger. Oh, an American cheeseburger. He gets... I don't think I would risk that kind of cholesterol when I don't have a proper heart anymore. Like, I don't... <laughs> I just think I would have kept it... I don't know, I just would have been very careful about it. I... I, I know, but this is... But luckily, he's played by Robert Downey Jr., and he's pretty much resistance to everything. But um, it's like... It's, it's, it is, but it's like a kind, of, kind of passion. You, you can tell this is a man who cares about his country when the first thing he wants is a fucking... Sorry, bloody cheeseburger. Um, yeah, it's... It, I, I like that aspect to it. It, it shows priority. Uh, and then he gives a speech to his company, uh, telling them that Stark Industries will no longer... Manufacturing weapons. weapons. Six manufacturing weapons. This yeah, is the big, big divergence from the comics. <laughs> because oh, this, seems like, no. this seems like a natural thing, doesn't it? You've introduced yeah. a character that's not terribly likable because he's a warmonger. And, and then like a traumatic thing happens to him and mm. it, to do with his own weapons. So he stops building yeah. them. Nope, not in the comics. <laughs> he gets out of this experience and he's right back to building bombs and missiles and guns. And things that can <laughs> kill people. Because at the beginning, Iron Man is very rah rah fight the commies. It's very pro oh. Vietnam War. It's very pro the the the, uh, the administration that is against the communists and mm. Stark. He's meant he, I, my <clears throat> so Iron Man doesn't debut in a comic book called Iron Man. Ooh, he, debuts, he debuts in, 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 in Tales to Astonish, um, issue number 60, whatever, right? Mm. And it's the same. Spider-Man doesn't debut in Spider-Man. He debuts in Amazing Fantasy. It, it, these comics are much more in line with something like Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone, where you create a character uh, and you create this weird, twisted science fiction story and you kind of see what happens, right? And you just, it's just, you, you, you've got a deadline to meet. You're writing a fun story. Now... Mm. Should the character prove popular, of course, you keep writing stories about him. I'm not entirely certain if Stan Lee went into the first Iron Man story thinking he's definitely writing a superhero. He might have just oh, been writing... Okay. Because what we've missed... He's, in, the Iron Man, in, the, in the original story, he uh, burns the Viet Cong to death, <laughs> put, puts a hat and coat on over his Iron Man armour, and walks off into the jungle, and that's the end. <laughs> that's the end Sorry, of the a origin. Hat and, a hat and coat on. A big hat and an overcoat. <laughs> all I can see, all I can see is metal Rorschach. That's yeah. That's that's kind of what it is. And then he walks off into. So he he he, he yeah he, he covers them all in petrol and sets fire to it and <laughs> blows them all up and burns them alive. And then he's like, my work here is done. <laughs> the, Viet <laughs> the Vietnamese are dead. <laughs> Puts on a hat and overcoat and just trops off into the into the jungle. And exit stage right. 
it doesn't really strike me in, in, in reek of superhero stuff, does it? It kind of feels very much like a twisted sci-fi story. Um, yeah. And and so that's the that's the that's the kind of thing. I'm not entirely sure that to begin with, Stan Lee was writing a heroic figure. Um, mm. But he, he does very very quickly. The second one, you know, the second and third and the fourth stories, he is he's kind of saving people from circus cats and stuff. But um, yeah, he he does not stop being an arms manufacturer and a lot of the early conflicts are communist spies coming to stop him from building missiles and <laughs> you have to be on his side as he's like no how dare you i shall i shall protect and defend my rights to, <laughs> to keep profiting from the war in your country <laughs> yeah oh wow oh but you wow. can't you can't do that in a modern movie can you no, no, you, you, you can't because the, the, you can't get away with that message at all because it's oh, awful. And plus, yeah. there's no real big war going on. So you, even if there was a massive <laughs> war going on, you couldn't do it. You have to do it subtly. To be fair, they did, is the protests, is the anti, anti-Vietnam sentiment really, anti-Vietnam war sentiment, sorry, really, really ramped up in the country. Uh, kind of smarter heads at Marvel prevailed. And uh, along the way, Tony Stark did decide... Maybe building things that kill innocent people is a bad thing for me to do. Yeah. But it, it, it took so, a little while to get there. Took a little while to get there, but I mean, as, as for the film, as, as the first thing he does, I mean, it's great. It's like a break in equilibrium. It's like, it's not like the end of the film. Is he gets back home and continues what he does. It's like, no. But, but this uh, causes... Uh, he, he, some... becomes, he becomes a sci-fi hippie, and that's something that is not... <laughs> It genuinely does. I mean, it's a very, very strong character trait for the MCU, Tony. And, and it's, mm. um, it's his biggest divergence, really, from, from, the, from the comic in terms of the personality. He's a sci-fi hippie. Um, mm. He really does change his ways and, 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 and kind of does start to think differently um, and becomes very, very anti, anti-authority and anti-establishment, which yeah. uh, Marvel Universe Tony is not. He's like, keep giving me that money, uh, American government and S.H.I.E.L.D. I'll keep building your weapons. Keep telling me what to do, brothers. Bloody hell. Okay, I didn't realise that was about the original. Wow. What about... Um, okay, we'll get, we'll get to this character as well, because his decision to... To say, okay, we're no longer manufacturing weapons that kill people, as if there's another kind of weapon. Uh, it, it pisses off <laughs> his father's old partner, the company's manager. Uh, now, I'm going to say, pronounce it right, Obadiah Stane. Obadiah, Obi, yeah. O- Obadiah Stane, o- Obi. I'll call him Obi. <clears throat> so Obadiah this is. And... The... <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, yeah, carry on. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to basically agree with whatever you were going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Obadiah Stane uh, doesn't arrive in the comics until the 80s. Oh, okay. He has no... They have retconned a connection to um, Howard Stark, Tony's father, but that, I don't mm. think that was there to begin with. He's not... It, it, um, it's not clear. It, it, what, is, what we do know is that Tony Stark's parents die when he's young, mm. and he does take over the company... But it's not that clear what happens in between. Like, who's running it? Um, yeah. But it's certainly not Obadiah Stane. Obadiah Stane arrives in, in the in the 80s. 
um, as this mastermind behind a lot of attacks on on Stark and on Iron Man. Uh, ah, okay. He, he's attacking him in the boardroom uh, and gobbling up stocks and shares and shutting them out of, of business corporate deals and things. And he, behind mm. the scenes, he's also hiring lots of villains to attack Stark Industries and attack Iron Man. And then he manages to buy Stark Industries completely out from under Tony's nose, shutting Stark out absolutely and completely, reducing his shares to virtually nothing. Uh, and all of this sustained, prolonged attack behind the scenes from Obadiah drives Tony back to the bottle. Um, oh. And he, he becomes a drunk. He has a big alcoholism relapse, abandons what's left of the company, and also stops being Iron Man. He uh, hands the suit over to Rhodey, and he yep. goes off to become an alcoholic beggar. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 quite a transition. It's a, a big victory. I mean, in terms of supervillains scoring victories, that's a big win. That is a big, big win. It's uh, a punch in his heart. He, he, Tony Tony has to start a whole new. He joins a, he joins a Silicon Valley. It's in the eighties, so he joins a Silicon Valley startup and starts building brand new designs and stuff. Come oh, um, wow. because Stain has bought Stark industries he has access to plans to build um iron man suits and build the iron monger suit which is yeah big and really and really powerful and uh they have a big fight and rather than go to prison he blows his own head off uh, <laughs> stain the, the the thing the thing on the on the palm that iron man shoots out is called repulsor ray and he's yeah. like i don't fancy going to prison fellas and then he puts it under his under his chin and blows his head off. Oh, oh my god, that's that's a grim ending considering. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So Obi, before he uh, succumbs in the film, uh, so basically he's he's a bit pissed off. So Tony then works at building a sleeker, more powerful version of the suit, uh, as well as a more powerful arc reactor for his chest, and it pepper pots. Uh, then places the original reactor inside a small glass showcase. But just uh, to stop at that point, what struck yeah. me about on the re when I rewatched it is mm. that Stain, to, he alludes to the fact that we make weapons here, we're not interested in a completely different renewable power source. <laughs> <laughs> how, would, how would that make us any money? Oh, God, <laughs> that's embarrassing. There's a giant art reactor, and it, admittedly, he kind of says it doesn't work. It's just a publicity stunt. But Tony then says, "But it powers this facility, so it it does work." Uh, and it just—it's the way he says it. Pfft, no one's ever going to make money from fuel. Let's keep building bullets. <laughs> we can power cars with our bullets by firing backwards. <laughs> What I liked about there's this one one bit, and I swear you do it in all films and all TV shows. Whenever the, obviously his stocks go down after he announces they're no longer uh, building weapons, they switch to a clip of that TV show Mad Money or whatever, and they yeah, just like because yeah. I tell you what the stocks are worth, <clears throat> thumbs down, and they always do that. <laughs> It's like they never show a clip with Mad Money when a company is doing well. It's always when a company's doing bad. <laughs> 
I just don't I, know why. I think that guy makes more money from uh, TV and movie appearances <laughs> like that than he does his own show. Like, I think they pay, oh, he but... gets paid more to appear in stuff than he does anything else. I mean, FYI, what kind of there's, a, yeah. there's, a great, um, <clears throat> there's a great movie about... Oh, God, who plays him? I think it's George Clooney. There's a great mm. movie about a character exactly like that that ruins someone's life by doing that, mm. and they go mad and take him hostage in the, in the studio. And it's a lot of fun. Ugh. But it has that, nothing that to sounds, do with Iron Man. Sounds brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 always, I, I just found that funny that they're using that to signify that the company's not doing so bad, so obviously it pisses off staying. So then he's at a charity event, like like he like he does, and he finds out from a reporter that his company weapons uh, were recently delivered to the Ten Rings and are being used to attack Yinsen's home village. So he gets on a new power armor after loads of like testing of it and everything, and it all going wrong a few times. And Which is tremendously fun, right? That's like oh, such a great scene in the movie. It is. It, it just I like the trial and error bits. Like okay, in Batman Begins. I liked when they're explaining the, like the different bits of the suit, but there was no real uh, trial and error with it. It all seemed to go well first time around, so there was no resistance in the plot. If that makes sense, like, like I would love a bit more resistance. resistance. Yeah, that that Batman Begins is, is just as good as it is. It bugs me because it doesn't ever feel like Batman earns being Batman. He yeah. uh, he 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 wants to know how to fight crime, so Liam Neeson says, "Here's how to fight crime." And then he goes to uh, he goes to Morgan Freeman and says, "I need a bat suit and a Batmobile." And Morgan Freeman goes, "Oh, you know what? It's dead lucky you said that because I've actually just got a bat suit and a Batmobile just here. There you go, mate." And he goes, "Cheers, I'm Batman That's just now." A... <laughs> yeah, just totally right. There's no there's no hero's journey. There's nothing earned. Yeah, I mean, apart from his parents being shot, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally spot on. Um, so, yeah, he basically goes over back to, Af- well, it apparently is Afghanistan, according to this. Okay, he puts on a new armor, goes to Afghanistan, where he saves the villagers. Uh, but I, I love this scene because there's a bit where they all grab the villagers and he do- they, they do the shot, they, go- they pan right down to his hip, with his hands at his side, flexing the fingers, and I'm going, this is a Western. They're doing a Western uh. right now. And I love that. As I absolutely uh, loved that, and then it goes into a bit, in, a bit insane where he blows up a tank uh, when he, he tries to fly away. The tank shoots him down, and he shoots it, turns around, start walking back. Boom! Tank blows up behind him. So he does all that. He does the good thing by throwing the leader of the terrorists back to the uh, villagers and goes, "You deal with them or whatever." I forgot the line is. Um, he's yours, I think. And let's be clear: he knows what that means. He knows that what's going to happen is they're going to murder him very horribly. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you and, what, and Tony, Tony Stark's that. fine with that. Yeah, and, and that's, that shows you who he is. He's doing it, but he's doing it in a badass way. You can get on board with. That's the point. He but, he, yeah. he is, you know, genuinely of of the of the crop of, of Marvel superheroes, the classic mm. ones, especially the early ones. There are very yeah. few where, if you were to present me with a storyline where Spider-Man killed somebody or let someone die intentionally. <laughs> That's yeah. beyond stupid. And it's yeah. the same with like uh, with, with quite a lot of them, you know, Captain America, most of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. But Tony Stark, I go, yeah, you know, like right from the get-go, he's not, he's not kind of the same hero as anyone else, is he? 
he's kind of okay with murder. He his morality wavers on places, like he, but he knows where he's going. He's like he's like on a different plane to everybody else in terms of morality. He's not good. He's not bad. He's just he sees opportunity sometimes and constructs things. I think, things off I, think he, I think he definitely is good, but I think mm. he does believe that in some instances the the ends do justify the means, which oh, yeah. is a, 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 quite opposed to like a Batman character or or some you know Spider Man for instance. Oh, totally, totally. But I like that. It gives him an edge to because I, I, I know that a lot of superheroes are bound by a strict code of conduct or you know set of morals, and it's nice to like, like in that instance, just go, you know what? Here you go, rip them apart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that because it, it's kind of like because when you watch things like that, you're going, no, 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 no. Let him, let them murder him because he's, he's a, a terrible person. person. Don't spare him. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm angry. I don't know. Well, what see for comic book fans, we had a different perspective because we lived mm. through the eighties and early nineties, where every character became grim and gritty, and started ah, to yes. be very violent. And when you know the Punisher, what if every character was a bit like the Punisher? And <laughs> if you're if you're my age, you got sick of it, and you're mm. you. We're very pleased when things went back to, no, 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 no. It's better if there's a few characters like that, but if most of them are heroes and try to save everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think but, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was great at pulling superhero movies away from dark and gritty and realistic like Batman did. I think they did a great job of getting it right back on to make it feel like a comic again. Yeah, yeah, slightly more realistic yeah. comic, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean. It's like uh, big, loud noises and colours and stuff. You know, we like that. It's good. Not, uh, not, not uh, brooding over things. But yeah, yeah basically, yes. yeah. After all that, um, where, where was I reading from the synopsis? So uh, he's he, just, uh, he's just liberated the village, hasn't he? The, the city. He's, he's just liberated the, the village. He's flying. Yeah, he's flying back, and then these two U.S. jets uh, are attacking him, and he's like on the phone to his mate at the same time, Rhodes. He's, he's phoning him, and Rhodes is in the same room. They're talking to the Jets in, so it's kind of like, I can't talk to you right now, which is quite funny. So basically, he reveals a secret identity uh, to him, saying, that's me, basically. So, after that, the Ten Rings gather pieces of Stark's prototype suit and meet with Stain, who has been trafficking uh, arms to criminals worldwide and has staged a coup to replace Stark as Stark Industries CEO by hiring the Ten Rings to kill him. We should perhaps uh, yeah. touch on touch on uh, yeah. James Rhodes for a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's he's a really important figure. Um, he again didn't arrive until seventy uh, nine, the very end of the seventies, um, mm. and didn't really start to get much traction until the eighties, mm. um, where he first becomes the replacement Iron Man, and oh, then right. later, yeah. He, he so so in that storyline I talked about where Stain takes over. And, yeah. and Tony becomes a beggar. He leaves the role of Iron Man to um, to Rhodey. Mm. Uh, and then after that, when 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 Stark comes back, he he builds him another set of armor, the the, the War Machine armor. Um, but he's such like he, he becomes such an intrinsic part of the Tony Stark and the Iron Man story that subsequent kind of retcons and retellings of the story 
um, place him right back at the um, when when Tony escapes from captivity in uh, what did we say it was called? Cyan Kong. Um, so he's now right there when Tony kind of goes into the jungle to escape. He encounters Rhodey, and Rhodey's part of the team that rescue him. And they kind of they've retconned those two characters' lives to be intertwined right from the very very start. Um, and he's kind of seen as the yeah the most his most trusted his most trusted uh, companion and friend and the person that's you know almost almost as equal when it, especially when it comes to um, flying the suit and doing the, the fighting bits. Oh yeah, he's he's. I mean, when 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 he get when he gets a war machine, okay, it's a little bit he's a little bit ropey at first, but he's really good at it. He's he's played by a different uh, actor as well uh, in this one, and then got replaced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. all sorts of talk about that being uh, uh, pay issues or something like that, yeah. that, that, being difficult to work with. It's hard to know who's to believe. That is a say. I, I will say one thing though, just while we're while we're on about the actors who were in the film, uh, Jeff Bridges as uh, Obi. Oh God, <laughs> he's amazing. I, right? I, it's good, but I am a I am a, a ordained. Uh, Ordained priest of the Church of the Latter Day Saints, Latter Day Dudes, sorry, Latter Day Dudes, and all right. I can hear is Big Lebowski in the suit. He's like, "Hey, man," <laughs> he's like, "Like that's your opinion, man." All this, every time he speaks, any time, all I can hear is Big Lebowski. Well, I think that's just more to do with you overdosing on Big Lebowski and not really yeah. consuming more of Jeff's wonderful work. What, what, what wonderful oeuvre! <laughs> There's definitely yeah, a point I, I, where he, he gave up on sounding unlike anything else. He just got um, locked into that uh, cowboy drawl. Because he never used yeah. to sound like that outside of movies. Never. He just made a decision one day of, this is how I will talk forever. <laughs> I need to watch uh, True Grit at some point. It's good. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, and I love anyway. Coen Brothers films. Anyway, we're not going to go towards Coen Brothers. We That's haven't got time. podcast. We haven't got time, I know. Anyway, so back to the story. Uh, so we let's see. So after the so the, meanwhile, the Ten Rings gather a piece of Stark's prototype suit and move Stane, who has been trafficking arms to criminals worldwide, and stage crew to replace Stark as Stark Industry CEO by hiring the Ten Rings to kill him. He's so kind of mirroring, Rosa. kind yeah. of mirroring that, that 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 story we talked about from the eighties. Stane, mm. Stane's plan is to use villains to kill off Tony. And to and to replace him and to take over the whole country. So they they've taken one of the most classic stories. This is a thing that that all man, all comic book movies do this. They have a intrinsic need to insert one of the classic villains right there in the hero's origin. They have yeah. to do it. It has to be right. Look at Batman. They whether it's the Keaton movie or the latest Joker thing. They have to. They they're on a desperate mission to tie one of the classic villains into the origin. It has to be a whole part of it. Like whether it's Mandarin's attachment to the Ten Rings here, or Stain being right up there with it. They can't. They they they, they really can't. I suppose it's it's for efficiency. You've got one movie. It, it maybe is a lot to do the origin and then a separate introduction of a villain. You know, the Fantastic Four movies seem to always stick Doctor Doom. In at the start when they get all their powers and yeah. you know that you have to kind of attach Red Skull to whatever way they use to create Captain America. There's always a big push to do that. 
And I, I guess it has got to be uh, time constraints, really, and efficiency of storytelling. I, I like what they did with the Dark Knight trilogy, where they went, we're going to save the Joker for the next one. We'll do other things in the meantime. <laughs> that was, I like that. It's it, it put the focus entirely on the uh, uh, protagonist. But anyway, so, yeah, you're right. There is a lot going on with that. So, Stain subdues Raza and the rest of his group, and it, it yeah, has the rest of the group killed, basically. So then Stain has, well, hey, the massive new suit reversed, engineered from the wreckage, and seeking to track his company's illegal shipments, uh, Stark sends Potts to hack into this database, and she discovers that Stain hired companies... Sorry, Stain, Stain hired the uh, Ten Rings to kill Stark. But the group engaged when haven't, he realised... We haven't talked about Pepper yet. Um, yeah, we haven't, have we? What, what's, she, the, what's there to say about Pepper Potts? Um, she's really important uh, throughout... Um, so she is part of this big love triangle with um, Tony and, and Happy Hogan, who I don't think he's in this movie. <laughs> he is. He is. Happy Hogan. He is. By... Yeah, John he is. He, he, uh, is he in it? John okay. Fav- he was uh, just quickly uh, near the beginning. He races he, into the plane. He does more in the in the second one, doesn't he? But uh, yeah. Happy Happy Hogan and Pepper are like the, the other two parts every Iron Man early Iron Man issue it's Tony Happy and Pepper Happy Hogan is yeah. the chauffeur and kind of uh, downtrodden sort of best mate of Tony Stark mm. and uh, Pepper Potts is just a secretary it's just a you know it's the 60s there's not a huge amount of advancement she can look forward to and right yeah. from the start she Happy keeps trying to get on with Pepper and Pepper keeps shooting him down and openly saying to him I'm saving myself for Tony Stark. It's a real madman situation with the secretary yeah. and the boss, right? That's that's what it is. That love affair, and 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 Tony uh, reciprocates in his head, but he's got shrapnel moving towards his heart, and he has to keep plugging himself into the electric shaver socket so he can't ever be with her. And his his intention every issue is to push her off on Happy Hogan. Because he's like, that's he's a decent guy. He can he can be your husband. That'll oh. that'll be how that works out. Oh, um, yeah. And the the what you get in this movie is this wonderful, playful bickering and bantering, right between Paltrow and, and Downey Jr. It is oh, it's, it's so good. To the yeah. extent that you you would, I, I came out of that thinking I would happily watch a rom- romantic comedy that had nothing to do with Iron Man, which is those two sniping and bickering and 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 sparking because it was it was phenomenal right now in the comics the, the bickering and and the kind of sparking is all between pepper and happy um but after this movie there's a distinct change they uh, in the comics pepper marries happy hogan and they go off for a bit because in by the time you get into the 80s they're kind of boring and you know, comics. The yeah. comics need to be a lot more shooting and going into space and time travel. Um, so once this movie came out, they really, really changed um, how Pepper was presented in the comics. Happy Hogan, her husband, gets killed off and then never spoken about again. A real mm. uh, Armin Tamazarian moment. <laughs> and um, Armin Tamazarian. <laughs> it, re- it really is. It really is. I think at his funeral they say, "And we'll never speak of him again on pain of torture." <laughs> Um, oh god! And, and and Pepper becomes like obviously she's, she's, it's, it's a modern world, so she's not a secretary anymore. She's essentially running Stark Industries while Tony is off, you know, with the Avengers fighting Thanos and stuff. 
Um, and the, that's in the comics. Then they start to introduce the idea that Pepper and Tony bicker and snipe, and there's this big sexual attraction, and they both care about each other. But he's a complete mess, and she is a bit too strong to let herself be with a complete mess. And they kind of replicate in the comics. So this is kind of how the movies influenced the, the stories that went on to be told in 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 the in the colors. So I think that's a really interesting. Um, change and i think when paltrow did a phenomenal job and actually turned pepper Potts into a real asset to the comic book stories oh i will say the bickering ramped up in the next film the bickering yeah. was top notch it was real real swift uh swift in terms of uh, dialogue and it, and it harkens back to a lot of those kind of like bringing up baby and um his girl friday those kind of rapid fire patter between the female lead and the male lead and the sparks flying between them, but they kind of don't like each other to begin with. And not in that kind of cliched way that you get in all rom-coms now. I mean, in the early kind of black and white ones where the, 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 the dialogue's rapid fire and it's smart and it's witty and they, you both know everything they say is about sex, but they can't say it. It's just uh, <laughs> brilliant, really exciting stuff. Oh no! Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, she's a valued. I love the fact she is the secretary, but becomes even more than that. Less like, say, uh, Money Penny and James Bond, and more like uh, not exactly love interest, but like the assistant, like the, the you know, like the sidekick in some places yeah. almost. Yeah, she yeah. really steps up, and I really love that. So yeah, back to the film. So. Potts meets with their agent Phil Coulson of S.H.I.E.L.D., an intelligence agency, to inform him of Stain's activities. So, Stain's act, uh, scientist cannot duplicate Stark's militarization arc reactor. So, Stain ambushes Stark at his home and takes one from his chest. Now, this bit I found very odd because he has that sonic device that he puts next to his ear. And it yeah. felt like something from Star Trek, the original Star Trek. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, and suddenly he's like, Ugh. <laughs> it was. <laughs> It just yeah. felt like you could have done this six scenes ago. Yeah. You've got, if yeah. you've got a thing, you could press a button and incapacitate anyone you want. I mean, why were you dancing around with the Ten Rings and all that? Exactly. Why I don't just know do why. that That's... straight away? Yeah. There are a few plot holes in this film, but we forgive it. We just, forgive it. You... Use the Sonic thing and push him down the fucking stairs. I think jobs are good in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think I, you need elaborate plans of warmonger armor. He, he, he survived terrorists. He, he survived terrorists on the toilet and drown him. Just. To... <laughs> I don't know if I if I was going to try and kill someone who survived a terrorist attack, I'd be like, mm, do I roll these dice again? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think you could be right. It might be uh, the be what's he's the better part of valor preparation. Oh, for, for, for proper planning and for, 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 yeah, yeah, days. Yeah, proper planning and stuff. Yeah, I we all know we all know the phrase. We all know the phrase. So yeah, that that is a bit odd. But he uses this time. He takes the um, arc reactor. He gets it. So he basically takes the arc reactor out of him. Uh, but Stark managed to get the original art reactor to replace it, like the one they put in case. What was it? The the inscription proof that Tony Stark has a heart. <laughs> yeah, that was a really great touch. That was a really nice touch. So basically, Potts and several Shield agents attempt to arrest Dane, but he puts on the suit and attacks them. And then uh, I'm, you know, obviously Tony Stark gets up, uh, puts on the suit, and then fights them. But uh, Stane's suit 
the what was this? The Iron Munger. Iron Munger is the name of the of the suit, and it's the name of kind of Ob- Obadiah's kind of uh, alter ego. I, well, not alter ego really, but in the comics, yeah, he's known as Iron Munger. Um, mm. And and he says there's a line where he says it when they're talking about the arc reactor when Tony first comes back. Uh, Stain says to him, "We can't change what we do. Come on, Tony, we're Iron Mongers, you and me." Yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, which was just a nice way of getting that reference in without a weird scene where he says, I am the Iron Monger, and it sounds really hackneyed and cheesy and weird. Why would why would anyone say that out loud, you know? So it was a neat, neat way of getting it in there. You can't do that in superhero movies anymore unless it's actually their name. If they have an alternative name, it needs to be a proper route, a proper way of saying it. You can't yeah. announce There's, it either. There's got to be a laugh. reason why they call him that, like... Like Spider-Man makes perfect sense. He yeah. he climbs the wall like a spider and he's got webs and he's a man. You go, that kind of Spider-Man. Batman. Oh, well, that weird Batman guy over there. That kind of, it makes sense if people would say that. It, it makes it, because all I can think of now if, if a villain announces who they are, all I can think of is Professor Chaos from South Park. <laughs> That's all I can think now. I think it's got to that point. Well, that so, just becomes yeah. like Doctor Doom or something. Butler's face becomes Doctor Doom, and he goes, Professor Chaos! And it's like, it's very of that ilk, but that's all I can think of now if if a villain announces their name dramatically. So they have a fight. It's an epic fight, uh, and there was one, I, I love the bit where he goes, have you figured out the freezing problem yet? That was so good. Because one of the trial and errors was him flying too high in the altitude where <laughs> it gets very cold and his suit froze over. See, that frustrated me because as soon as that yeah. happened at the start of the movie, I went, well, that's how he's going to beat the bad guy. Yeah. It, it, it just <laughs> stuck out like a sore thumb, but that's just, that's just me. What, what's, is, is, what's, what's the, what's the uh, is it Chekhov's pistol? Is the, is yeah, the, uh, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even that, though, was it? It was just... It just some of these things feel if you watch enough movies you go well there's literally no reason for them to have said that unless it's going to be important later on it's, yep. just, it's very it's very it's a bit of a clunker but yeah no no I totally, totally understand that so that happens they have a fight uh there's lots of uh, things blowing up but then uh stark tells uh potts to overload the large arc reactor, powering the building, which releases a massive electrical surge to cause a stain and his arm to fall into the exploding reactor, killing him. So it's a very dramatic and overzealous way, but yeah, that's how the fight ends. It's a pretty standard uh, superhero fight, if I may say. Yeah, but it is, also, yeah. Yeah, what was his exit plan? What was Obadiah's exit plan? What kills Tony Stark after causing loads of damage with a suit he made? I mean, he's gonna lose his job. Unless he's, you know, gone I don't, mad. I, I mean, I, no, I don't think so. Because when you're super, super, first of all, you could deny it was ever you in the suit. Okay, um, okay that's You could fair. be a terrorist. And then when you've got, like, tons and tons of money, you just cover everything up, don't you? Like, you just pay yeah. everyone off, bribe the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but people, people are going to, yeah, but people will really get back to you. And I think it would start the ball rolling later down the line. But anyway, I'm, I was overthinking of what uh, his exit plan was. But, yeah, he dies. And then uh, the next day, at a press conference, uh, Stark defies suggestions from S.H.I.E.L.D. and tells the world, I am Iron Man, which was a a nice way of ending it. Uh, Yeah, so I think um, uh, we we, we haven't mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D. or Coulson at all, which was 
uh, which we should have done. I really liked. I mean, Coulson's a, a movie character. He's not a comic book character, although yeah. he is now. They've added him in. They've created oh, a, wow. a a comic book kind of version. Um, I liked how much that uh, Shield. They didn't say Shield to begin with. They they repeatedly had him say the full name, and they they cast someone who plays very brown and bland and invisible and he's reciting a very boring alphabet soup kind of name like any yeah. of those other kind of alphabet organizations and he's meant to kind of you know, be so bland he, he blends into the background which is great for a, a you know a secret spy organization yeah absolutely and I, it gave me a lot of thrill to see shield involved in the small part because there's such a rich and exciting part of the marvel uh, universe um, uh, Tony Stark at some point in the comics becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. He runs the whole organization. Wow. That um, makes a lot of sense. Right, right after the Civil War storyline, um, he kind of takes over an awful lot of, of uh, kind of superhero management and espionage and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it doesn't go well for him. He has a terrible time of it, really. Um <laughs> But it's good because wow. he's, he's built weapons. Historically in the comics, he builds weapons for shields. Almost as soon as shield are, are, are along, he builds them flying cars. The heli carrier, I think, is one of his designs. Um, uh, the, the mandroid. Are the mandroids ripped off? The mandroids ripped off from him. The mandroids. My mandroid! Uh, <laughs> man, yeah, mandroids are kind of like... They're big, gold, basically crap Iron Man suits that shield agents wear. Oh, wow. um, but yes, they must have been ripped off because he goes and anyway, uh, he builds lots of stuff for them and then runs them. So Shield have Shield are always tied in with Tony Stark in, in the comics, um, and revealing his his identity is uh, that's a re- that's a very recent. Well, not very recent. It's two thousand. It's, it's around two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, that he, that he did that. So it's not something that's been around for a long time. But it makes yeah. sense. So originally, um, when Iron Man's on the scene and he's, you can't hide him, and he's always at Stark Industries. That started to raise a few questions. So uh, Tony announces that Iron Man is his personal bodyguard. That's how they get around it to begin with. It's ah, um, oh, makes sense. He, he cops that he built. It's, you know, it's, I I built and designed the armor. Of course, I did. I'm a genius inventor, and I build weapons. And I have. Um, he was, his identity must remain secret, but my bodyguard wears the armor to protect Stark Industries and protect my life, and that's how they get away with the um, the closeness and the secret identity for so so long. Um, and then, yeah, some sometime sometime around uh, before Civil War or two thousand and something or other, one or two, he reveals it to the public, and it kind of makes sense for his identity to be out there because he's. Like you said before, he carries himself like a rock star, doesn't he? So it all blends in. It speaks to a bit of a wider issue. Marvel comics are rooted in characters having secret identities, or they were traditionally for a long, long time. And I find that a very exciting and interesting and captivating part of the stories, especially someone like Spider-Man. And it kind of bugs me that, that all the Marvel movies don't give a shit about that. <laughs> like, there's no such thing as secret identities... Thor doesn't have one. Iron Man doesn't have one. Hulk doesn't have one. Captain America doesn't have one. Like, they just... I mean, it, it, and this was the kind of the 
just an, it felt like it was telling the audience, yeah, we're not going to do that. That thing you th- because the one of the biggest biggest jokes, public consciousness jokes about superheroes is, well, Superman and Clark Kent, they look exactly the same. Everyone must be stupid. And I think Marvel really wanted to put their foot down and sort of say, essentially say, yeah, you're right. Secret identities are dumb, and we're not going to do them. I yeah, think that's kind I like of a mistake. Broadly speaking, I think that's a mistake, but I can understand they're trying to appeal to a very modern audience. I, I like it because it gets it gets rid of that that storyline of going. Oh no, there's there's going to be danger of me being found out. I mean, the only one that I really think that works in Marvel is Spider Man. I think Spider Man that works better. He's a lot. What more I just lose. what I just heard is you say it's good because it it eliminates drama and suspense from the story, and I think that's, oh. that's like tying your hands behind your back and and saying, well, what if there weren't more problems? What if our characters actually had less problems? I think that would be easy to do, wouldn't it, everyone? <laughs> Just had less no. problems. I, I, I get that typical problem. It like you know, get you get more imaginative with what problems they can come up against. Because I always see like. like there's always that scene in a superhero movie where it's like, oh no, he has to be in two places at once. Yes, that's drama, and it's suspense, <laughs> and it's a problem. Oh. I want to see them overcome. Yes, but I've seen them do it over and over again. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell you what, I don't think it lends, interestingly, I think it lends itself to an episodic storytelling. It lends itself okay. to comic books. I don't think it kind of plays terribly well in a movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, honestly, the Spider-Man comics, um, very especially Dan Slott's recent, like, 10-year glorious run on Amazing Spider-Man, he just plays that. It's so... There is a constant dilemma. There is a constant dilemma of Peter having to choose between saving someone or, or exposing his identity. There is a constant yeah. dilemma of how can I get... It ruins so many relationships of his. It's brilliant. It's, it's, it's good to have that. But, again... To your point, I think it is. It, it, it needs to be when you've got an episodic story that you're coming back for again and again, rather than, you know, movies that are quite tightly packed and, and it's like one story that happens over like a day or so, isn't it? A couple of days. Uh, and I don't think you kind of get a huge amount out of it, really. Oh, no, I, t- I, t- I totally agree with you there. It's, it's just about finding that right, that right balance. But yeah, um, there is a there is a post credit scene. I didn't see this originally, but I did watch it. I was like, oh, because I'm now in the habit of sticking around till after the credits. Um, of and then of course Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury visits Stark at home and tells him that he's not the only superhero in the world, and he wants to discuss the Avenger Initiative. I mean, how did you feel as a as a, you know what's going to happen? You know. You know what's going to happen next. How do you feel knowing the first Marvel movie like done under Marvel Studios, they talk about the Avenger Initiative? Ah, oh, like rock hard in the theatre. Like, <laughs> so, so deeply excited. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I was really, yeah. really... And don't forget, at the time, like The Incredible Hulk was out the same month or the next month. Yeah. There was not like a year... You, you was like, I can't wait then to see what's going to happen next they're putting the team together um so it was really really exciting um and i i was again it felt like they are they are doing this properly they're trying yeah. to do this seriously they're doing something that no one's ever done before marvel were they're not the first people to do a shared universe but they are the first people to do it really well um, i totally agree totally agree uh, 
And, and, and I mean in the comics. And, and then so to attempt it in the movies um, is was 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 really exciting. Yeah. I think with the Avengers series, though, uh, I know we, we pretty much finished on Iron Man. Um, that, that is the film, basically. I think, though, my thoughts. Well, I just need to, we just it. need to tackle Nick Fury before we move on because we—that's a big oh, player. Yeah. We can't skip. We can't skip over Nick. Um, well, I'm sure there'll be, there'll be more time to speak about him in the next one when he when he in the next Iron Man. But yeah, let's let's get let's get, let's start a bit on him now. I think well, we've got a lot in the next one. We have got Black Widow. We have got Hawkeye. We've got a lot to cover in the next one. Let's just oh, God, have a quick a quick little thing about yeah. Nick Fury here. So Nick Fury is a World War Two character. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, the, the Howling Commandos, um, and in the comic books, he's a white guy mm. uh, with 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 grey hair. He takes a version of the Super Soldier Serum called the Infinity Formula or the Infinity Serum, which kind of slows his aging down but doesn't stop it. So when we get yeah. to him in the sixties and the seventies and stuff, he's kind of yeah. So when uh, Marvel started a new line of comic books, Nick Fury has been white since day one. He's been a, a soldier and a spy and like a kind of a cool James Bond spy. And now he's yeah. the, the, the run shield. Marvel launched a whole different brand of comic books in a, in a brand new kind of universe called ultimate, the ultimate universe, the ultimate comics. Um, and they decided then, cause they, one of their artists, Brian Hitch was really good at drawing characters, really good at drawing kind of almost a realistic depiction of celebrities. So they said, well, what if we make Nick Fury black? And if we're going to make him black, why don't we make him Samuel L. Jackson? So oh, in the Ultimate yeah. Universe, Ultimate Nick Fury is this shaved head, one-eyed Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is a big comic book fan. And he was like, he saw it and he was like, hey, that's really cool. I hope they, they call me to play him when they make the movie. <laughs> and then that's exactly, that's exactly what happens. When they come to make the movie, oh. they go, well, he doesn't, he doesn't look like it in the traditional universe which we call 616 but in the ultimate universe he looks like this guy sam's a big you know a big fan he's a big star they reached out and they put it together the problem with that is you then have fans of the movies reading the comics and going who's this white guy why is he pretending to be nick fury so and this is the second armin tanzarian reference of the episode they pull a full-on armin tanzarian they introduce Nick Fury's black son, poke his eye <laughs> out, shave his head, and then have the white Nick Fury say, I have to go into hiding forever. Your birth name is Nicholas Fury. Why don't you take over my job and no one will ever speak of this again? And that's how this they is, dealt with that. This is exactly what happens in Metal Gear Solid Five, and there's an eye patch involved in it. I feel they're ripping <laughs> that off. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 5 does exactly that, except with an arm off and uh, an eye patch. Just it is a son as well. No, 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 just some random soldier. But they convince him he's, he's the best uh, soldier ever in the world and somehow lives up to it. I don't know why that happened. It's a mental story. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the black and white issue of Nick Fury. Uh, which brings us, wow. as you were about to say, to the end of Iron Man. So the end of Iron Man. Yep, that's that is the end of Iron Man, which opens up the next film and the possibility. Well, obviously, possibility, possibility the the uh, upcoming Avengers films. Yeah, you said that as if you don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> well, I've seen them all. Yeah. 
I've, I've seen them all, but you're kind of like at, we're kind of being in the present moment by the time that happens. Oh, you know okay, what I mean? I like, okay. Yeah, in in the, in the spirit of that, but yeah, that that is essentially Iron Man. Great film. So, final thoughts on 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 the movie and and on what you've what you've learned from the comics. I would say I like think when it comes to uh, not so much video game films, but comic films, anything to do with geek culture with that kind of story. I like when they pay not so much fan service, but make the right nods. Make the right nods to let you know that yes, uh, there are you know there are references, there are hints that hey, things can happen. But on, on on my side, I like the fact that it's just a good movie. I like the fact they've managed to take an idea that works as a comic and go, you know what, this could, this can work as a film. We won't we won't bugger it up. We won't um, it won't be Batman and Robin. <laughs> we'll make this. <laughs> we'll make we'll make this work. And considering it's Marvel Studios' first film, isn't it? It's their first film. Yeah. What what a solid first attempt at a film. What Absolutely. a solid attempt. All yeah. praise to John Favreau for getting it done. Oh yeah. John Favreau. Fantastic. And what's what's your favourite bit of comic book trivia that you've learnt then from uh, from this from this episode one? I, I, there's there's too much, but the, the only thing leaping up to mind is uh, Iron Man burning Vietnamese people and then putting on a hat and a big coat walking away like no one's going to be suspicious of someone with a hat and coat in a jungle. Over a giant metal suit as well. Yeah, I, I, I think that no one drew that with a straight face. I like to think he's whistling as he walks away. Yes! Oh, yes! Who's burnt all those people? <laughs> That's exactly how I'm imagining it. It's just, it, 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 I, I, I like it. I like the insanity of that. That's, 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 that's what's staying with me. So that brings to a close episode one of Marvel versus Marvel, where uh, a Marvel movies fan uh, goes to the movies and learns everything they can from a Marvel comic book fan about the comic books that inspired the movies that changed the cinematic world. Um, thank you for listening along. We hope you, you learn it. Uh, get in touch. Let us know what was your favourite uh, comic book trivia. Um, what did you learn that you've never thought of before? Um, and don't forget to uh, watch along with us. Get yourself ready for episode two, where we'll be delving right into the Incredible Hulk and carrying on the MCU journey. So make sure you fire up that new Disney app and uh, or, or break out a DVD from, uh, from wherever you've got them stored. Watch the Incredible Hulk to prepare yourself for episode two of Marvel versus Marvel. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you like and subscribe to Marvel versus Marvel and don't forget to rewatch The Incredible Hulk to join in with episode 2. And hey, why not shoot us an email to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>